Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 19 one more time. John chapter 19 and we will begin reading in John 19 in verse 25. John 19 in verse 25. We're going to read three verses this morning as we continue down through this text. John 19 in verse 25 says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus His mother and His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw His mother and the disciples standing by whom He loved, He saith unto His mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith He to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. In the midst of all the intense activity going around the cross at Calvary that day, the day that our Lord was crucified, John adds this little bit of history. The other Gospel writers speak of those who were friends and relatives who gathered at Calvary. But only John relates that the Lord's mother was there. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 20, 55 and verse 56, Matthew says, And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto Him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Joses, and the mother of Zebedee's children. Mark chapter 15 and verse 40 and verse 41 records the same event and gives us some more information. Mark 15 verse 40 says, There were also women looking on afar off, whom was among whom was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less and Joses, and Salome. If that's how you pronounce that, Salome, I think. Verse 41, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. Now I want you to remember the name Salome because she is only mentioned here in Mark chapter 15 uh, and she is not named in any other of the gospel writers among these women that stood next to the cross. But it becomes important in a minute. First, in the midst of all those gathered at Calvary, there are only a few of our Lord's disciples there. Though both Matthew and Mark use the phrase, many women who were present standing afar off, yet compared with all the others that were gathered there, there was really only a few believers who were gathered or who were present that day. We have seen already as we've gone through John chapter 19, the different crowds that gathered at Calvary, those who were 
had rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, those who had rejected his ministry and his message, those that hated him and hated his message, among all of those gathered there who hated and who resisted those who had resisted, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the midst of that huge crowd of people who were going by mocking and, 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 and cursing him, there was a handful of believers that stood there and followed him all the way to Calvary. But this is true all the time. True Christians live in a world with people who, for the most part, have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, for the most part, have rejected his word and mock it and speak ill of it, speak ill of the word of God and speak ill of the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with false religions that reject Christ and not only reject him, but hate him and hate his people. We who are Christians live in a world filled with voices and ideas which conflict, regularly conflict, with true Christianity and which are contrary to everything related to God and His Word. We live in a county where most of the people in this county reject the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ in its truth. Yet among all the angry voices, among all the contrary lives and the lifestyles that are contrary to the Word of God, there are a few who have determined to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word and will not be hindered in doing so. Why were there only a few who drew near to the cross? There's some reason behind it. We, want, we do not want to quickly suspect that all of God's children that were there in Jerusalem uh, were sinning by not being there. Remember in the Sunday school class, I told you, not given to suspicion. The Bible gives us some reasons as to why the majority of the disciples were not present. The first one is that God was fulfilling the prophecy mentioned in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7. Remember I said God is the first cause of all things. There's a reason why there's only a few that draw near to the cross. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7 says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man, that is, my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. And I will turn my hand upon the little ones. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. This was fulfilled at that moment at Calvary, where the sword of God's justice had been drawn against the shepherd of God's sheep. John in chapter 16 records our Lord long before He entered into, or shortly before He entered into Jerusalem 
and before he went through the through the the courts and before he stood before Pilate as they are journeying from Bethel to Jerusalem our Lord speaking in John 14 and 15 and 16 to his disciples in John 16 and verse 32 behold the hour cometh he said yea and is come now that you shall be scattered every man to his own and shall leave me alone. This is not a rebuke or a challenge against the sin. This is a statement of fact. A fulfillment of prophecy. They're scattered, the sheep are, everywhere. And yet I am not alone, he continues to say there in John 16, because the Father is with me. Mark records in John, I'm sorry, in Mark 14 in verse 50, and they all forsook him and fled. Mark chapter 14 and verse 15. So first, the disciples are not gathered at Calvary because God is fulfilling the prophecy that if you smite the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. Do not judge them unrighteously for not being there. Secondly, the eleven which were with Him in the Garden of Gethsemane, had been allowed to flee and not be taken captive by the mob that entered into the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember when I preached that and Jesus said, I am. Who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And they fell down. And when they got back up, they asked the same question. And He answered, I told you that I am He. And then adds, If therefore ye seek Me, let these go their way. And I preached then that it was the intention of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 18 and verse 8 is that verse. It was the intention of the Lord Jesus Christ that they flee from their, these captives, that they not be gathered with Him, that there's a purpose for Jesus being left alone. Thirdly, Though Peter and John followed our Lord to the high priest's house, Peter later fled after his fall into sin and his failure to stand firmly for the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke records in Luke chapter 22, verse 61 and 62, it says, The Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And the Greek behind the phrase went out means that he fled away from that place to escape it so that he could hide himself. He fled from that place to escape what he had done so he could hide himself. And he wept bitterly because he had sinned against the Lord. The others had already left. Peter and John had followed behind him. Now Peter is gone. Ten now, having fled from our Lord, leaving only John there. Of the eleven, only John is present. John chapter 19 and verse 26 says, when Jesus therefore saw His mother, 
and the disciples standing by whom He loved. John never mentions himself in this Gospel. He refers to himself as the one who has written this Gospel. He refers to himself as the one whom the Lord has loved. And it is his way of keeping himself in the background and pushing the Lord Jesus Christ up forward. Or that we might learn that heart, to have that kind of heart, that Jesus Christ should have the preeminence. The disciple whom he loved. Certainly he loved the others. Remember when Martha and Mary sent to Jesus, the Lazarus whom thou lovest is sick. It was obvious uh, during his earthly ministry that the Lord had set his love upon some. John was one of them. Among the other disciples, most of them stood afar off from all that was happening to our Lord at Calvary. Matthew 27 verse 55 says, And many women were there beholding afar off. Mark in chapter 15 and verse 40 says, And there were also women, women looking afar off. I didn't read it a while ago, but Luke adds this. Luke 23 and verse 49. Luke says, And all his acquaintance... And the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off. The word acquaintance there does not refer to his family as it is often used in our time, but those closely known to him. There may have been cousins or something like that, but primarily it was those closely known to him. Not just disciples, but those who knew the Lord in a close and intimate way. They all stood back. Matthew and Mark record about the women, but Luke adds that phrase, his acquaintance, which surely included a lot of men. Though many disciples stood afar off, yet eventually a few of them, motivated by their great love for the Lord Jesus Christ, motivated by Christian courage, moved away from the crowd, and came closer to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a few women and the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, the beloved, who came up close to the cross, that cross upon which Jesus is hanging. Remember, there are two others. This one is focused. They are focused upon one alone. In the midst of the fear, in the midst of the chaos of that moment as the crowd is moving back and forth through Jerusalem and they're sitting down mocking and the thieves are throwing uh, uh, curses and mockings at him in the midst of the Roman soldiers gambling for his garments in the midst of that whole uh, event. A few believers walk up and stand before the cross in the midst of the hatred and the chaos of those who had rejected the Lord's message. There were a few who drew near to the Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst of His enemies, there were a few who drew near. In the midst of those who were genuinely loved Him and who were disciples, but who stood back 
They drew near to the cross. Despite the darkness of the hour, despite the number of angry unbelievers present, despite the presence of a government that was putting an end, they thought, to this one who is king of the Jews, despite the fear and the decision of those who truly loved the Lord Jesus Christ, but decided that it was better not to go up close. Remember, there are some who for fear were hiding. Despite that, there were some who drew near to the cross. Now there stood by the cross Jesus, the mother, his, Jesus, His mother, and His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. Now you would think, brethren, that this verse is so clear you would not need explanation on some things, but the commentators are all over the place on this one. Commentators of this uh, construction of this verse in English as well as in Greek has caused many to raise the question as to whether there were three women there or four. You could be read, it could be read like this. And standing at the cross, Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the mother of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. It could be. Or it could be read, Jesus standing at the cross by Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. Two groups of two connected by and. If it is three, as a lot of the commentators say, then Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, has a sister named Mary, married to Cleophas. Does that make sense to anybody sitting in this room this morning? Well, it didn't make any sense to me either. And then they try to say, well, she is her, his, her sister-in-law or cousin. But the word sister means sister and you can't get around that. And though men may strain at a gnat while they swallow a camel, we ought not to do so. I'm persuaded that there are not three women, but four who were present at that cross that day. And I want to focus on it. It is his mother. And then, secondly, his mother's sister, whose name mentioned in Mark 15, verse 40, is Salome. Mary, then, the wife of Cleophas, who's mentioned uh, as being married, uh, Cleophas being translated different English words, but the same Mary, the wife of Cleophas. And then Mary Magdalene, mentioned last in this text, but almost all the rest first. Very important aspect of things. John is the only one, as I said before, to mention Mary, the mother of Jesus. The others mention uh, three women. John alone mentions that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is also present. The first thought that I had as I was thinking about this is that just before these verses, there are four Roman soldiers tearing apart the clothes of our Lord Jesus Christ and gambling for His vesture. And then the next verse mentions four women honoring the Lord Jesus Christ by their presence. What a contrast! 
What a contrast is set forth before us by John as he draws our minds to these ravenous Roman soldiers gambling over a piece of cloth after having crucified the Son of God and the disciples whose hearts are filled with love for Him. These four women standing there and gathering there close by to the cross in order to show show honor to the Son of God. It is a perfect picture of us. Of the world set in contrast to true Christianity. The world is constantly devouring itself. You need no more proof than that than then the headlines that have been on the world this week. That the world constantly is devouring itself. While at the same time that is going on, true Christians are seeking a way that they might honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Salome, mentioned in Mark chapter 15 and verse 40, is also mentioned in Matthew 27, verse 56, but not by name. She is mentioned in Matthew 27, verse 56, as the mother of Zebedee's sons, or Zebedee's children. That makes her our Lord's mother's sister, Mary's sister, Salome, married to Zebedee, and is the mother of Zebedee's children. This first shows up, at least two of the children first show up as grown men in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21 and 22, as our Lord enters into His ministry. Matthew 4, 21 says, And going from thence, He saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship, with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the ship and their father and followed him. So two of the children are now grown men, and one is named James, and the other is John. They had been with the Lord Jesus Christ from the first day after his baptism as he entered into his earthly ministry until this day at Calvary. They had been with the Lord Jesus Christ the whole time. They had seen His ministry. They had been taught by Him. They had labored with Him. Of the two brothers, James and John, only one of them, John, stood by the cross of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Called the first day that Jesus entered into His ministry, three and a half years later, standing faithfully by His Lord and Savior to give Him the honor due unto His name. Mary Magdalene is there. She is also a very important person in the Scriptures. She is standing by the cross that day. Before she was a believer, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, she was sickly and demon-possessed. Luke chapter 8 and verse 2 says, And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene 
out of whom went seven devils, or as the English translation says, seven demons. The English word infirmities in Luke chapter 8 means sickness, whether of body and or of mind. It is translated disease, infirmity, and also weakness throughout the King James Bible. Mary Magdalene had been healed of both demon possession and her sickness. Whether caused by the demons or not, she was a sickly woman and a weak, frail kind of woman until the Lord Jesus Christ delivered her and healed her of her sickness. After she was healed and became a believer, she ministered to the Lord and uh, with those who followed Him. Luke chapter 8 verse 3 adds uh, concerning the women, including Mary Magdalene, which ministered unto Him of their substance. That is, they were providing for Jesus and the twelve. This showed their love and their gratitude toward Him. This also showed that the Lord Jesus Christ and His disciples were poor. Someone outside of their group was providing for them something to eat. After years of service to our Lord Jesus Christ and His followers, she shows up in John 19 and verse 25. And we read that she is numbered among those who chose to draw close to the cross at Calvary. She never got over the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ had saved her from her sins. After the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, she followed those who buried Him so that she may know where it was that they had laid His body. Mark chapter 15 and verse 47 says Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joses beheld where he was laid. Three days later, Mary Magdalene was among the other women who came to the grave site on the early, in the early morning hours of the first day of the week. It is still dark. John chapter 20, as we'll get into in a few weeks, says the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Seeing the stone, she is the one who goes back to speak to Peter and to John. Verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 2. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid Him. Mary Magdalene then returns back to the sepulcher with the other disciples, and they all leave. And she remains behind. And she becomes the one that Jesus reveals Himself first to on that first day of the week. Mark chapter 16 and verse 9 says, Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom He had cast seven devils. 
She was a privileged and a prominent woman among the disciples who followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Besides those other three women, John 19 and verse 25 starts out with the phrase that at the cross of Jesus stood His mother. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was also present at the cross that day. She had been blessed of our God to bear the Lord Jesus Christ in His womb, in her womb, and then to birth Him in Bethlehem's manger. She had been blessed of God to know that she was favored to God to do that. She raised Him in a home where there was both love and truth. She often pondered the things that He said because she did not understand sometimes when He spoke to her. The Scripture says she kept those things in her heart because she didn't understand what He was saying at the time. But knowing His origin, that He is born of God, knowing that He's the Son of God as well as the Son of Man, she sometimes spoke about things that she shouldn't have. You remember at the wedding of Cana, they ran out of wine, and she says, my son will give you more wine. And he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. He doesn't say, mom. He doesn't say, mother. Woman. She had not spoken properly. But what did the very Son of God do? He provided wine for the wedding anyway. She had been blessed of God in many ways. She had come to know her Son, even though early in His ministry she was among those who said, bring Him out because He's beside Himself. She'd come to know Him as not only her Son, but the Son of God. And she had embraced Him as her Savior. Mary the sinner in need of a Savior. And she stands here before Calvary because a prophecy must be fulfilled in her life also. Going back to eight days after our Lord was born, Mary and Joseph had made a trip from Bethlehem back to Jerusalem to take Jesus to be circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. In Luke chapter 2, in verse 34 and verse 35, Simeon was present there on that day. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts may be that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon had prophesied on the day that Jesus was circumcised that the sword would pierce through the very soul of Mary. She did not understand those words, but kept them 
And this day standing at the cross, the sword is piercing through Mary's soul as she watches her son, the very Son of God, dying at Calvary's cross. There's no question that there are tears being shed here. Though we do not see a woman distraught and beside herself, she has come to know that this is the Son of God who must die and give Himself for the sin of His people. She had come to know that this, though she did not understand it, it was the will of God. She had come to know that though the soul her own soul is being pierced and what her eyes are looking upon that day, that it was necessary for the salvation of sinners. And she stands as a mother next to the cross of her son. But as a saved sinner submitting herself to the will of her God. She is at this point the mother, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ with other children who are not believers. She is at this point a widow as Joseph has probably died at this point. And so when our Lord therefore saw His mother, verse 26, and the disciple standing by whom He loved, He saith unto His mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. Why is it that, or how is it, that at this very moment when the sin of God's people have been laid upon the, the Lamb of God and the justice of the Almighty is falling upon the sacrifice at Calvary in the midst of all that is going on, Jesus steps into time as eternal matters are being dealt with and looks at his mother and says, you need someone to take care of you. And looks at John the Beloved and said, I want you to take care of my mother. After the miraculous conception and birth of Jesus Christ, Joseph and Mary entered into a normal husband and wife relationship. And many other children were born into their home. Matthew records in Matthew 13 and verse 55 and verse 56, and they cry out because Jesus has declared Himself to be Messiah. They cry out, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, that is his brothers, James and Josie, Simon and Judas... And his sisters, plural, at least two, which means that Joseph and Mary had at least six, probably more children. Are they not all with us? Whence hath this man all these things? Scriptures declare that he had four brothers, at least and two, four brothers and at least two sisters. He was the eldest. Someone else could have, among the brothers could have taken her in the home. Someone else among the daughters could have taken her into the home. Why does Jesus address this situation at this point? Well, the answer to that I've already given you. And Jesus has already spoken it way back in John chapter 7 and verse 5. For neither did His brethren believe in Him. 
They will come to that point. But at this point, his mother has no believers left in her household. The first thing that Jesus is doing here is fulfilling the command of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12 that says to honor your mother and your father. He is, in doing that, He is teaching us that spiritual care is more important than physical care. Not everybody has the privilege and that He had at the cross to make the distinction between physical care and spiritual care, but He did. He did. So many old, older and elderly people in our nation are being turned into nursing homes at their old age where no one in the home uh, has any spiritual interest in their soul, simply taking care of their body and feeding them some food until they die. It was not so with the Lord Jesus Christ. She needed physical care. There was no question about that. Jesus had no inheritance. He had no physical inheritance. He didn't have a savings account. He didn't have anything. Birds of the air have nests. Foxes have holes. I don't even have a place to lay my head. He died like that. Nothing of any earthly value. The, the, the garments that He was wearing was all that He had and the Roman soldiers had stolen them. But He did not and would not entrust His mother to her unconverted children. Not that they did not love their mother, but that they could not love her soul the way her soul needed to be loved. There's no question they loved her mother. But there was something more needed. And so without having any physical inheritance, he turns his eyes over to John and says, John, take care of my mother. And he turns his eyes upon his mother and said to his mother, you t- this is your son. You t- and he took her into his home and he met her needs and he took care of her. John the Beloved. This is the Son of God always doing good as the Scripture says of Him in the book of Acts. Always going about doing good. In the midst of everything else that is going on, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of, of, the, of the eternal matters that weigh upon the, upon the Son of God, a moment of time has just opened up before us. And a seemingly insignificant event becomes paramount for us to see in the end of it all, the spiritual is more important than the physical. We're all going to die someday. All of us. None of us will escape this world without that event. Some of us will leave and try to leave a physical inheritance behind. We may or may not be successful in that depending upon how things develop before us. But how many of us in this room will leave a spiritual inheritance behind? 
as we weigh out life and death and we can escape for a moment out of the minute that we're living in and look at life and death as a reality and know at the end we will have a heritage, we will leave something in place, whether it's physical or spiritual or both. The judgment of our hearts should be the more important thing is that we leave something spiritual behind. The Bible warns that those who leave riches behind will find that it is spent by people they don't even know who and on what they spent it. The most important things of life all relate to heaven or hell. The most important things in life all relate to spiritual versus physical. Life on earth is short and it is final at the end. There are no second chances, no reincarnation and try again to do better. It is short and final. Life on earth ends and then forever we live in eternity. The first and most important of all issues is that we are prepared to meet God, that our sin has been dealt with and removed by the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The second most significant thing is that we can leave behind something that will last Something that has eternal value. Something that won't be squandered away in a few days or weeks or months of the physical stuff that we leave behind. And and I hope by the help of God to leave something physical. But if not, I hope by the help of God to leave something spiritual. What will you leave behind? A body in a casket? A few dollars, a piece of land, a house or two. What will you leave behind? What will you be remembered for? Will it be said of you, He being dead yet speaketh? God help us to view things as Jesus did on the cross. I'm going to take care of my mother. She needs to be taken care of. What she needs more than anything is to be taken care of spiritually. Let's pray together.